Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block. The place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master. The most important person in the game. The only person capable of sending you into the Great Void. Filling your reality with nightmares. And drawing upon the fears of all the people at the table. And I'm host number two, ah, 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 DM Neil, a.k.a. Jodmaniac. All right, perfect. Well, there we go. Guess what? We're doing Ridiculous Voices. So, yes, it is time for our annual Halloween episode. Neil, I'm really excited about this. We have a fantastic guest, a very appropriate guest for this show today. We have Veronica from Cthulhu and Friends here to talk with us about running a adventure or a campaign surrounded where your PCs are versing an unstoppable, undefeatable evil. Yes, an absolute wealth of knowledge on the topic because Cthulhu and Friends, as some of you may or may not know, isn't, I mean, I don't know how continued the storyline is, but essentially different groups of people or rather different groups of characters play because in Cthulhu you die. Like that's like one of the main conceits of the game. And so she has done that kind of campaign multiple times. And like I said, an absolute wealth of knowledge on the topic. Yes. And so stick around for the meet. It's going to be fantastic. We have a lot of great inspiration for some creepy horror type games for you. But Neil, obviously we have some five star views. And so now we're going to bring you those in some creepy voices as we do every Halloween. So Neil, take us away. Okay. So all of our reviews are coming from Canada today, America's hat and man, it makes us look good. So with that, we have our first review from Brapidy five stars, huge inspiration. This show has been a source of countless gins and new perspectives on the art of running games. It inspired me every step of the way as I designed a custom world and ran the best game I ever have. Check out the Institute RPG podcast to listen to this epic D&D 5e story well played on Shameless Plug. <laughs> oh, yes, thank gosh. You. Thank you so much, Brapity. Our next one comes from Damon 619 and it's entitled Take Notes by Stars I'm a fledgling DM and I've learned so much from this podcast I'm on episode 46 and already have a notebook full of notes and I'm well on my way to create my own Thank you, dear Mitch and dear Chris. You guys have helped me push past my insecurities around telling my story and becoming ADM. Your DM for Dummies episode was very helpful. Keep doing what you are doing and don't So thank you so much, Damon619. Neil, you must read the next review. Yes, yes, master. I'm sorry, I have a bum leg and a hump. Here I come. Yes, it's from Cheesy T11. Perfect for new DMs. I came across this podcast as I was searching for ideas to spice up my first attempt at DMing. I like spices like the Eye of Newt and Wing of Bat. I'm only about 20 episodes in and I'm already completely hooked. <laughs> I like the hooks. It's fantastic, funny, and full of great ideas. Thanks, guys, for helping me turn my so-so beginner quest into an epic adventure. It's alive. It's alive. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. Thank you so much that for that review. And thank you, Neil, for doing that voice. Neil, it's very weird because halfway through that I was like, oh Neil's uh eager voice sounds very similar to a lot of merchant voices that I have in my world. Yes. <laughs> Come buy this. <laughs> I'm a merchant because I can't get anywhere. 
<laughs> well, with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Today for the meat, this very special version of the meat, maybe it's tainted meat, rotten meat, who knows, but it's Halloween. So we decided to bring a super special guest with us, and it is none other than Veronica, game master and producer of the Cthulhu and Friends Actual Play Podcast. Veronica, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you on. Uh, we're going to start off today and kick it off with a, asking you a couple questions. So uh, first is probably Neil's favorite question to ask any of our guests. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Whatever that entails. Sure. Uh, this is a very specific question and <laughs> I get it a lot. So I've yeah. got <laughs> something ready to go out of the can. Um, so my name is Veronica. I was born many years ago. Um The place I was born is now a grocery store, so there you have it. That place completely cursed. Um, (laughs) I have been running an actual play podcast for the past, I think, five years now, so it's been a long time. And what's, I guess, really interesting uh, from my perspective is, of course, I run a horror podcast. I am terrified of everything. I have only ever seen the first uh, season, first full season and half of the second season of The Walking Dead. I watched that in the middle of the afternoon with all of the windows open. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was behind my couch so I could like run in place and duck and hide so I could be safe. So very scared of everything, which I think is what kind of makes me pretty keen on being able to slip into people's fears and horrific things. Scaring other people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm terrifying because I terrify myself. (laughs) You know, if zombies do come at you during The Walking Dead, having the windows open is probably not your best strategy. That is fair, actually. <laughs> that I is my first thought as well. This at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to be able to see your attacker. So, you know. That's yeah. true. But I feel like we are kindred spirits because I had not watched anything scary for a long time. Then The Walking Dead came out. It was probably midnight. And I was like, <laughs> everyone seems to enjoy this show. I'll watch the first episode. And the scene with the hands coming out of the door, I was all, cool. I'll watch it 12 hours from now. <laughs> it's like, too I'm done for spooky. now. I'm done yep. for now. <laughs> yeah, I think that the, the, well, so I would. Gosh, I grew up around a lot of really irresponsible teenagers that let me watch horror movies when I was way too young. Um, So I have an irrational fear to this day of leprechauns. And um, Mm -hmm. so I take off of work during St. Patrick's Day. Stay home. I do not like it. It just freaks me out. It's scary. Um, But the last, I think, legit horror movie that I had seen before I watched The Walking Dead was Hellraiser. And so... That gives you like a clue as to like, oh, I was not prepared for the massive special effects that were going to be coming at me from The Walking Dead. So that's That's awesome. awesome. (laughs) So for our next question, we have what have you been working on lately? And I always put this caveat now that you can share with our listeners because a lot of people have stuff that they can't talk about. Sure. So, um, gosh, I think the thing that I'm actually working on tomorrow, um, we are relaunching our entire podcast. So um, Mm -hmm. we have new players, new setting. It's a completely new world. So um, if people haven't listened before, they can actually hop right into this season. You don't have to know any of the backstory for any of the characters. Um, So this is our seventh season and it's all brand new. And it's really exciting because... um, I typically run really long-term pulpy campaigns, and so I don't have to worry about, oh, well, how am I going to bring in such and such, you know, favorite NPC? It doesn't matter. I get to start over, and so I'm really (laughs) excited about that. Um, I have been creating little trinkets and things that I'm actually mailing out to my players, so... I have the first 20 or so episodes that are already ready to go. Um, They have all of these clues and everything. So when they get to a particular scene, um, instead of me just describing, oh, you find this artifact or something, um, they'll have this box. They open it up and I'm like, okay, pull envelope E12. 
and they can all pull out envelope E12 and that'll have the physical whatever it is that they need to look at so they can actually see it. That That is amazing. I, there's nothing else. It's just amazing. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so I work in a maker space. And so I have access to a huge CNC router, um, laser cutters, 3D printers, all sorts of stuff. And so it's been really fun to kind of figure out what I can make while I'm here that I can send out to the players. That's fantastic. I count myself lucky because I work in a place with a printer that I can use for D&D. But... <laughs> same. Same here. When everybody we else is out of printer. the office, I should say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. You printed an entire book off that thing? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> seven seasons. 100%. That is quite the undertaking. So seven seasons. So when's the movie coming out for Cthulhu and Because that's next, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, man. Yeah, that'd be so fun. I think uh, every time we have a new cast, of course, we play in horror. So we have characters that just drop dead. And uh, what's really fun, I think in our last Q&A, we had a who would play this character. And uh, it was really neat to see everybody's perspective, uh, which famous actor they would like to uh, have represent their abs, essentially. So Nice. So we have to round this interview off a surprise question for you. This one comes from one of our Patreon dragons, DM Pax. And so this, I mean, he's asking this question and it's a specific D&D mechanic, but I think that this is, the idea of it is still really, really great to ask someone who runs Cthulhu games all the time. So mm-hmm. DM Pax asks, what is your greatest critical failure that you've seen in games? And I thought that would be great to hear what a GM of Cthulhu games would consider the greatest PC critical failure that they've experienced. That's fair. So um, a little bit of background on how I actually learned how to play role-playing games. Um So I actually learned how to play from my friend Mike, who's on the show with me, but I actually learned how to DM from a guy that played back in the 70s with Gary Gygax. So that's that's where my DMing style comes from. (laughs) And so um, any critical failure for me is almost like it's not even a coin toss as to whether or not you're going to die. You just kind of, you know, it's probably a good 70 percent chance that you're going to die or have stepped (laughs) now onto a path to imminent death. Um, I think the best failure I've ever seen is, oh my gosh. Hmm. I have a mechanical question though, in relation Mm -hmm. to Call of Cthulhu, because you know, so in Dungeons and Dragons, it's a 5% chance that you could critically fail because you roll a one on a D20. Is a true critical fail essentially a 1% chance in Call of Cthulhu? So you have, um, several opportunities to fail, um, not just in your dice roll for action, but in your dice roll for sanity. So you could uh, pass something. And I guess, so my answer to the question is a critical fail actually being a critical success. Um, in a horror game, you don't always want to hear and see everything. So I think the best one that I've ever had was someone rolling a crit 20 on something. And it was, I think, on a perception. And they <laughs> saw and heard everything. Oh, and it yeah. stuck with them. And when you can hear the outer darkness and the creepy crawlies that are not supposed to be in your consciousness... I think that's the worst. And that led them on a path to, okay, now we're going to be making a sanity roll. And in the sanity rolls, that's all on a percentile die. And it's all based on your wisdom, what you've seen in the past, all kinds of different factors. Um, So the more you play the game, the more likely you are to fail your sanity. And this particular character was just ready to, I mean, drop off completely. (laughs) That's fantastic because I like in a D&D game, the players are always excited for, oh, look at that. I got a 27 to my perception check. And it's very I've, I don't even know if I can think of a time where a perception check gone right has the potential to go so very wrong. But, yeah, oh, that yeah. idea of just like this is not. This is not the time that you want to be perceptive. (laughs) You wish that you didn't see what you saw. And I think that just sets the tone so much uh, for this episode. So so thank you, DM Pax, for that 
for that question. And thank you so much, Veronica, for that answer. Let's start talking about this Halloween episode, what we came here to talk about, this idea of unstoppable evils, this idea that, uh, Veronica, you can probably speak to this the most, but that I think Call of Cthulhu has this feel to it, that it's not so much about beating the evil all the time, but maybe stopping the evil for a time or just surviving the evil. Uh, But there isn't this classic Dungeons and Dragons feel of winning, slaying the beast. Uh, What is this? How does this play out in a role playing game? This not typical sense of winning. Sure. So I think that essentially if you're playing a Call of Cthulhu and really any game that's based in horror or based where, you know, essentially you might be the villain as well. Um, you're never you you never need to set up your players to feel like they're playing a game to win. They're playing a game to survive. And that's it. And survival may not even be the thing that their characters want to do. Um, so we've had characters that get to a point where they have survived as long as they want. And then they're at that tipping point and I'll get a direct message of like, I don't think my character can make it any further. I think we may, you know, end this character's life. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, So your players really have to be committed to the role play of whatever character they're playing in. And that means like maybe that player commits or maybe that character commits suicide. Um, You know, maybe that character goes insane and refuses help. Who knows? Um, When that happens, I always take over that player uh, or I'm sorry, I take over that character (laughs) and then I use that as an NPC. Um, So I think that was the biggest like shock to my players was that, you know, your your time as this character may be over, but now I'm just getting started. So. Yeah, it's such an interesting concept of, you know, the like you said, the the unstoppable evil where the idea of not being dead but still not having your character anymore. Oh yeah, and your character making decisions that you would never make for it because, you know, you want your character to survive, but a lot of times those crazed NPCs are never in it to live, but, you know, they turn out like, "Oh, I'd like to usher in, you know, this outer darkness or this outer God, because I'm miserable. Everyone else should either be equally as miserable or dead. So, yeah, I think of it like in the sense of if you want to do a horror campaign or just adventure, a lot of the times it helps for me to think of the story as in being either a TV show or a movie. And so if you look at TV shows or movies that are of that horror genre, Kind of like you're saying, surviving might be that's the goal is to survive this evil that's coming after you. But even in a in horror movies, sometimes we go and see a horror movie and sometimes at the end, the people who are in danger, they make it out and uh, their lives are probably forever changed and they have to go to some a lot of therapy because of what they went through. But sometimes we go and see a horror movie as well and nobody makes it out alive. And so the goal might even be who can survive the longest against this unstoppable evil. So you can have adventures where you're trying to stop an unstoppable evil from coming in and destroying the world or whatever that looks like. Or it may just be who can survive against this unstoppable force the longest amount of time. And that can seem like to some players, especially I think to newer players to tabletops, like something that's not fun uh, because, you know, you really get primed to want to save the world. But it can be a lot of fun if you implement things like artifacts. So we have a lot of artifacts in our game that transition from world to world and game to game. So your character may be able to, you know, dig a hole and place this, you know, mirrored box or something uh, in there. And centuries later, someone's going to find it. Um, And that may be your character. It may not be. But those are little things that your characters are going to be really excited to, you know, see like, oh, yeah, it's the mirrored box. And then as the GM, you have to, you know, just gently remind them, your character doesn't know what that does. So why don't you open it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point, too, because this idea of an unstoppable 
evil could also be some sort of indestructible item. And 100%. how do you, you can't, if you can't destroy it, what is the goal then? The goal might be, like you said, bury it deep, keep it hidden, don't let it out. And then with it not being able to be destroyed as a GM, you're always thinking, okay, but someday that's going to be found and we're going to have more adventures with that. Yeah, I think the most interesting one that my players have constantly, and we aren't in this world, so it doesn't matter to them. They they won't care anymore. Um, but one of the things that they frequently walked past in a game was um, kind of, oh gosh, what is it called? When you go to the bank and they push out the little uh, drawer to take your money or something. Like, so it's an old school thing for people that used to go to the bank before you could mobile deposit your checks. Deposit boxes. Uh, deposit box. Thank yes. you. Boom. Yeah. So I had deposit boxes all over this place and they spanned for like 800 or so years of like, oh, there's a safety deposit box. What's in it? And I alluded to the fact that all of our NPCs were using it, but it was just a portal to another dimension. None of my players ever went in and got it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you guys, this has been so cool. <laughs> That's I gave awesome. you the bread trail. Come on. Yeah. like I led you there. Make a deposit. <laughs> It'll be fine. I promise. Yeah. That's probably on me because I always take out um, money and currency out of my games because I despise keeping up with treasure. I'm like, oh, mm. we'll do a currency system, something. I don't know. A wealth <laughs> system. All right. Uh, do we have anything else uh, specifically on kind of in general uh, this idea of how to run a game that doesn't have that typical winning mentality or against an unstoppable evil? Yeah, I would say, honestly, um, if you're really interested in running a game for that unstoppable evil, to not expect to be able to a sandbox a whole lot, it's really difficult to do. Um, another thing is to really put yourself in a time box of I'm going to do maybe 10 sessions of this game with this group. That way you can pack in as many scares or whatever, but I wouldn't plan a long-term campaign. If it happens, it happens, but I would really plan small and then just, you know, go from campaign to campaign, setting to setting and really create each game like a five act hour long drama of like, Here's the beat for scene or act one. Here's the beat for act two and so on. Yeah, because I mean, especially looking to Cthulhu as an example, the dice can go sideways and it's over. Oh, yeah. Like that's yeah. that's all there is to it. Yeah, our um our group is actually switching to a brand new system to us. Um, just so we can avoid these, you know, oh man, everything is going sideways. Uh, but we're actually switching to Pelegrin Press Gumshoe, essentially. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So that feels like a good segue into discussing good qualities for a campaign or an adventure where you're fighting against this unstoppable evil force or like we said, an indestructible evil force. And so what are some qualities that GMs and DMs out there can add into a campaign or adventure that gives it the right kind of feeling, whether that's mechanical uh, qualities or thematic qualities? What are some things that have worked uh, for you, Veronica, in your Call of Cthulhu games uh, to really set that mood that this is not about winning? This is about surviving or how long or just, yeah, not winnable. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I would say, honestly, to Give your players as much connection to their current world as possible. So um, I always demand that the characters, when they're creating a backstory, um, every character has a really in-depth backstory. So we're talking like two or three pages for every single person. I want to know who they last, you know, made out with or who they last hugged. Do they have children? Why not? All of these things. Precious pets. All sorts of things, um, because I really want their character to feel real to them. And that gives me every opportunity to take everything that they've ever loved away from them. Just pick it off one by one. Um, and so now my my players initially were like, oh, I'm not going to tell her anything. You know, that's not fun. <laughs> and then, you know, they really got into it as we went along. And I had a character who ended up having like a full or I had 
everyone had like a full family. And I was like, oh, this is excellent. And, <laughs> you know, children were setting their parents on fire and all sorts of things. And it was great. <laughs> the players giving you ammunition to use in the correct way in a horror campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And that probably sets the stakes higher every time. The more that your players give you in their backstories, the more that you can use against them to make the stakes higher and higher and give that undefeatable, unstoppable feel. Absolutely. And I think that having uh, characters that have some sort of legacy that they can leave. So if they have a spouse, and I especially like it when they have children, because when that character inevitably dies that child then can take up the mantle of their parent. And so you're going to run across them as like, oh, my father died. You know, I'm going to do the thing. And I think that's really fun. And I think players think that's fun. So just being able to, you know, have this long lineage of people that for whatever reason, it's just in their blood. They have to investigate things that should probably be left alone. And it's an inter- and it's an interesting thing because I think of how much we advocate for the idea of player agency, but I think part of having this unstoppable evil and building it into the campaign is that some of that absolutely gets stripped away mm-hmm. because you need to have this evil exist on a level that is just not the same as like, oh, you know, uh, well, if we don't go over to Mount Doom, we won't have a problem. We'll just stay in our hobbit holes over here and be good to go. But it's like even some of the most simplistic things like you stare into a mirror for too long. Uh, now I need a sanity check because of the sa- things you've seen and heard. Yeah. I think is a great way to really make that evil feel so much bigger. One of the interesting things that I've actually DM'd and not um, in the podcast was we had players who were super cautious and I don't like to push anyone to play anything that they don't want to play, you know? Um, So if they're not enjoying themselves, I'm not doing my job as a GM. So I like them to be able to do whatever they want to do. It's their world, right? Um, But one of the things that I thought was really fun was we had players who were super cautious didn't want to do anything. And they were like, you know, we're going to stay in the Shire and it's going to be fine. And I was like, cool, tell me what happens. And they give me the, oh, I'm going to do this farm. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm like, cool, you do that. And you pass away from old age. Can you tell me what your new character is? And they're just, what? And I'm like, yeah, you have a great life. You have three kids. It's wonderful. Um, Now what? And they're just, oh. And I'm like, yeah, we can just keep doing that. Or we can play the game that we were all really excited to play and go from there. So sometimes you'll just get into that, you know, moment. And I think just give them a reality check of like, yeah, you know, you don't have to play this game, but I thought we all wanted to. Yeah. And I think that that idea of buy-in is really, really important when you're doing a horror campaign. Uh, Mm -hmm. when, When you watch a horror movie and you're sitting there and you're going, No, don't open the door or don't open that box. Don't go in there. Like, but that's what they need to do in a horror movie. Yeah. To make the horror happen. And so if you're playing in a game like that, find a reason. Like you were saying, why your character is curious enough to investigate or is disbelieving of everything going on. And no, I'll be fine. So that those things that your GM are setting up. And and that's something that most of our listeners are GMs and DMs. So mm-hmm. find ways to try to like get your players on that same page. And that idea of buy-in, especially for this type of a campaign or adventure, it's really important. Oh, sure. And I think that one of the things that's really cool about horror settings is that while we like to think that the team is collaborative and they're working together, really everyone is for themselves. I mean, unless there's some, you know, crazy bond, if you have brothers and sisters, whatever, um, it's really every person for, for themselves. And there's always an opportunity in horror games for each player to take over the game for a second and say, you know, I think I'm going to hurt so-and-so because my sanity is so low or, you know, I'm going to run faster even though normally I would take up the rear and I'm going to let this person that is a medic or whatever get eaten. And sorry, guys, now we don't have a medic. (laughs) So (laughs) That's something that I was uh, thinking would be an amazing 
mechanic, if you built it into a horror survival like game, if you you brought up Walking Dead, if you mm-hmm. get bit by a zombie, what happens? You become a zombie. If there's an unstoppable evil like uh, a zombie plague or something like demonic possession, something along those lines, not surviving might not just mean you're dead. It might mean the GM looks at you and says, welcome. Yeah. Let's talk about what your next moves are, because now you're on the side of evil and you can still have that play among players who have, quote unquote, lost or whatever you would want to say at this point. And then you have eventually this game where one single player is still surviving and the entire table is looking to bring them down. <laughs> That's, I mean, I've heard that story, a story similar to that. And I, I mean, it's such an impactful moment for the table that obviously it's the kind of thing people talk about for a really long time. But if you're going to the idea of losing sanity and maybe getting taken over by this, this ultimate unstoppable evil the idea of being like okay and then having the person actually physically get up and come behind mm-hmm. whatever dm <laughs> yes. or gm screen and sit down there with you oh that's Pull what i'm up talking a chair. about <laughs> yes. welcome my friend <laughs> would you like to roll some dice whatever it is <laughs> that's actually probably a really good way to uh train a gm to be honest <laughs> mm. yeah it's a trick it's all a trick mm-hmm. to get uh, <laughs> to get some co-DMing down here. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, boy, I could be a player in no time if I did that. <laughs> then you just like slowly shift by playing an NPC more and more yeah, and then letting exactly. them take over more of the monsters. <laughs> then before you know it, problem solved. So, just suddenly Veronica has a character sheet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Veronica, in, in games that you've played in the past with this type of feel... Have you ever used the element of uh, a race against time kind of feeling to stop evil before it gets to a certain point to build the suspense up? Absolutely. Um, I've actually done that a couple of different ways. Um, One of those ways was to have a clock that the players didn't know was happening um, and then to actually reset them every single time we played. So we would start at like 6.15 a.m. on Saturday the 14th, whatever. Um, And then if they didn't get to a certain point and they don't know what this point is, they don't know what's going on, the next day they would wake up. It was very Groundhog Day, um, you know, same time, same whatever. And um, for Cthulhu, it's really nice because um, time in and of itself is controlled by this outer god. Um, Yogg-Sothoth comes Uh, to mind. And, you know, it's the keeper of time and the keeper of the gate and, you know, all of this good stuff. Um, But yeah, I, I put my players up against the clock a lot. And a lot of times they fail because I mean, honestly, it's really difficult to get every single thing that you need to get done, done, and then to execute it well enough for it to work. So and and I try not to give my players a lot of, um, I guess, plans that I think they should make. I always put my I always put two NPCs in and I have the um, angel devil thing going on. So mm-hmm. I give them, you know, the extremes of what I think could possibly go wrong. Um, that always leaves them kind of like, oh, we should do this and this and try and go down the middle. And I'm like, great, we're never going to make it. Um, and that's actually how we ended our last season is just like, hey, everything's gone. You guys didn't make it. And the world ends. And that's cool. <laughs> I love that you said you actually set clocks up while you play. Mm-hmm. I think that like that idea can really emphasize suspense uh, in players when playing an RPG like this. I think, 100%. Uh, I think of any sort of board game where you have that ticking clock or that um, the sand timer flipped mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what the task is, but as soon as you know that you're under the pressure of time, the stress level just builds. And so put that into a horror setting. And I think that's perfect. Yeah, typically. um, So we usually cut this out of what goes into the recording and into the podcast that gets released. But typically you have any time that we're playing, you usually only have about 10 to 15 seconds to make your decision and then we move on. So if you don't have something to go, you get skipped. That makes sense why it would be cut. But <laughs> that is also awesome because it's like, no, no, no. Uh, again, that the concept, 
I mean, even from a mechanical and time perspective of it's an unstoppable evil. So we're not stopping yeah, no. for figuring out what's going to happen for too long because it's going to happen. I'm very bad at designing puzzles. And so the time is something that I use to get away from with having a really crappy puzzle that I've put in front of my players. So. <laughs> <laughs> ah, oh. you failed. It goes off. <laughs> I think one more question as far as the qualities that I would ask you is when, because we're talking about this idea of you can't, you can't physically defeat whatever this evil is. You cannot slay it. It's, uh, it's too strong. You're not going to be able to do that. Where would con combat if at all come into play in a game like this how would you use combat in a in a game like this if at all yeah i don't ever like to force combat just because i think gosh there's so many good ways to resolve conflict without it um but sometimes you know a player is really adamant about you know trying to defeat something i mean even your baby monsters like level two and three um they're going to kill you because your character's real squishy all the time. You can be a, a level 10 and you're still pretty squishy uh, because you only have humans to pick from. So I guess in combat, it's mostly you're, you're going to enter combat when your character feels like they're cornered and they don't have a choice. Or if there's some sort of like ethical or moral reason as to why they would enter combat, because most of the time they're faced with something that, you know, if you're familiar with the Cthulhu South Park, like that's usually the size of a monster that's, you know, attacking you. There's nothing you can do um, short of like having access to all of the nukes in the world. And then still, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? You know, um, so it. It's really dumb to take it on, but it makes sense when the characters have that really strong backstory and they're like, you know, I'm going to go in because even though I'm going to die, at least I tried kind of a thing. So I feel like you're what you're saying here brings back your point of I think preparation is something that's really important for these kind of games, because in a game that you're sandboxing. If you are, feel a little bit stuck, sometimes an easy way out of feeling stuck is throwing in some random encounters or something along right. those lines. But in this kind of a game, yeah, the characters should be avoiding conflict as often as they can because even amongst maybe the minions of whatever this unstoppable mm -hmm. evil is, death is still a very high probability. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting to try and turn your players into some sort of an either a evangelist or, you know, kind of a town crier where, you know, they've seen these horrors. And, you know, whenever you come into a situation of like, oh, I don't really have anything planned here to have someone walk across that looks like, oh, this might be a person that they could convince and give them time to really think through what they've been through, vocalize that and interact with an NPC. So you can kind of hear as the GM, okay, what is my player actually thinking? How are they seeing everything that's happened to them? And what are, what, what can my next best move be for them? So I think giving them opportunities to tell the story of what's gone on is huge uh, in horror games. So where you would, I think, be tempted to throw in, you know, uh, a band of goblins or whatever, um, you know, in this, you actually throw in dialogue and, you know, hear that story back from them. And then break their minds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the last thing that I think we want to do before we finish this discussion is just give some of our listeners some ideas of adventures and campaign ideas, some story hooks that they could use if they wanted to do a game like this where you were fighting an unstoppable evil. So what are some ideas that we have for enemies or events, encounters, things that can fill this idea of being an unstoppable evil that the players are trying to race against time against or just survive or stop, hopefully, for now? So I get to pull, because of Cthulhu and Friends, um, I get to pull from H.P. Lovecraft. So if you're unfamiliar with H.P. Lovecraft, he was this pulp horror writer, you know, from early in the 1900s. 
It's a lot of really good material that's really great for a one shot or maybe a two game campaign. So you can read these stories in maybe two or three hours. You can get them on audio uh, audiobook. Um, a lot of them are just read by people that are really brilliant um, voiceover artists on YouTube. Just listen to those and kind of pick up where all of these clues are as people in the stories kind of fall into madness. Um, you can also pick up a ton of stuff from watching things like, you know, CSI or even like your cop dramas, medical dramas, and just take something like, oh, well, someone got into this horrific situation. How did they get there? And then just create your own little backstory. I'm actually taking some unsolved mysteries um, that I listened to on some podcast. And I was like, oh, that'd be a really good hook for a complete campaign. I have 20 episodes that are completely surrounding this one podcast that I heard about a missing kid. Um, so I think just listen to things that are mysterious and then, you know, take one or two things and you're probably going to be creative enough to pull some hooks and to decide like, oh, well, I'll take this element from Cabin in the Woods and this element from Hellraiser and, you know, just keep going. That's awesome. I think another term that keeps coming to mind now is not only the unstoppable, but in some way the unreachable evil or untouchable. I mm -hmm. think it's another another good term because you, know, you, you can only do so much. And that's kind of the whole point of like building these things and creating all of this. I mean, if you want to use um, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons as an example, the reason the gods don't have stats is because if it, they have stats, then you can kill them. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, that, that's that that potential yeah. mentality there. And like that's kind of the point at best maybe you could fight an avatar and that kind of goes towards you know in the elder gods as well as like you have this entity or this creature and like it is still the greatest thing you will probably ever face and that's not the thing right. that is in the background actually running and doing all of these things in the world i was just gonna say and i think bringing up like gods as you both have uh is a perfect place to stop to start with the idea of this unstoppable quality. Um, there are, uh, like you were saying, Veronica, there's so much out there about just each specific elder God from the Cthulhu mythos. And I think mm -hmm. that's a great place to, to start and read about these gods and what, what exactly would happen if this God were to enter uh, the material plane, the mortal realm and the chaos that would ensue from that and you can go and you can just be inspired by those Cthulhu gods and you can create a god for your own homebrew world that fits just like that and my the question I would ask is what stopped that god from getting to the material world so far has is there a specific order that has stopped them and what happens if that order dies out or are there people are there cults trying to bring forth that elder god and maybe that's what this night takes place this adventure takes place is mm -hmm. trying to stop this cult from bringing them back but that leaves you as the dm to end the night on a very dark well we stopped this cult for now and right. but the the evil is still there is still present and cannot be killed and when is it next going to be when next will there be a gate open to allow it to come through? Oh, sure. I saw this really interesting thing. Uh, someone tagged me on I, like some social media um, of how if you made a campaign that was strictly about stopping cultists, how interesting that would be. Because if you imagine cultists as ants in an anthill that start chanting your name, you're going to walk outside and check out like, what the heck is happening? Hmm. And you're just a random human, you know, um, and just going from, you know, colony to colony and stopping them from, you know, calling out the human. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, there's a there's a lot of really good cult. Um, I mean, like real life cult stuff that you can uh, glean and, you know, introduce into your game. But cults are so easy um, to just enter into the game. So even if you didn't plan on having a cult in this game, there, are, you know, I would say like maybe they're actually really good at, uh, you know, being that, that game that you didn't quite have time to prepare for. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and a lot of very frightening elements that if you do that research on real-world cults, <laughs> beyond just fantasy-world cults, that you can take and use as great inspiration to creep your players oh, out. Oh, for sure. I was also thinking, on this show, we've talked a lot in past episodes about gaming in a post-apocalyptic type world, but I think this exact thing that we're talking about of like trying to survive this unstoppable evil is a great time to go and start to inspect that apocalypse that happened mm -hmm. and the end of the world as we know it and play an adventure out during that ending before that post-apocalyptic world that perhaps you've created from your world, but to play at that very end and to play a survival game while this unstoppable force or this unstoppable evil just renders the world completely lifeless or whatever it is. Oh, sure. One of the things that I like to do is to take natural landmarks that we know exist, uh, that we believe are real, um, to put your characters back in some kind of crazy old time, fail, and then you're like, oh, that's where the Grand Canyon came from. That makes sense. You know, just little things like that that kind of hook you in like, oh, crap, that's really huge and gives scale to whatever it is that, you know, you're you're into. Um, with Call of Cthulhu, we've actually played in the 1950s, um, 2808, like all sorts of things. And so it's been really interesting to to see kind of how people change their characters based on their setting. So awesome. Well, I mean. I'm inspired. I'm going to go crush the souls of every player I have. Uh, huzzah. So, <laughs> huzzah. So is there any final piece of advice that we want to give before kind of wrapping it up? I think just let your players try anything. I like it. I don't have anything better than that. I'm no, I don't want to say anything now. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose my final piece of advice would be, I think we have a lot of great ideas for your gaming for a Halloween scary type uh, session with your players, I would say don't be afraid to also set the mood with props and with maybe some candlelight. And oh, yeah, uh, especially if we're doing after Halloween, go to the go to the store, buy that that cheap Halloween stuff that the stores are just trying to get rid of. And you could be all set for either next year or it doesn't need to be on Halloween. Scare your players anytime. All the time. Go get your red balloon, fill it with helium, keep it in your backpack, and at just the right moment, unzip your bag yes. and let that fly up. <laughs> Be fine. <laughs> Amazing. Perfect. Well, we have one other important question for you, Veronica, and that is where can people go to find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me super active on the Twitters at Typical Veronica, and you can find my podcast at CAF Podcast. There you go. Well, and then, of course, thank you again for coming on, scaring us, hopefully scaring our yes. listeners. And above that, of course, inspiring us and our listeners to scare their players. Yeah. Anytime, guys. And we just want to thank Veronica again for coming, spending some time with us, teaching us the ways of fighting unspeakable evils and I don't know, for me personally, solidifying the fact that she definitely needs to come back on for another episode because the Elder Gods are, I think that's what we should do. We should try and convince her to come on to talk about the Elder Gods. Elder Gods. But if you want to tell us about the unstoppable evils in your games, you can always head over and email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to shamelessly plug your podcast in a review, head on <laughs> over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. And as always, we will read it on air. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can also like our Facebook page. Both of those places are the best places that you can go if you would like to have updates about the show, see when episodes drop, links to guest Twitter pages, and all other good stuff. And this week, our Patreon shout-out goes to... Playerless DM! Who is a gold dragon and Woo. is tearing up all of the things that gold dragons tear up. Tear, tear, So thank tear. you, Playerless DM. And Thank hopefully you, so you find some players. Absolutely. The Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like 
Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Detentions and Dragons, Geek Wars, and more. And as always, thanks for listening to The Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come before the Dark Lord, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of becoming a god, beheading characters, and eating the entrails of all of the people at the table. I've been one of your hosts, DM Neil, a.k.a. Joke Maniac. And I've been Dungeon Master Mitch. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Yep. Good night and good luck. And keep on Dungeon Mastering. I am already recording. All right, good. Here we go. Glad I'm not in my workplace with everybody who can walk past the door and hear me. Oh, like Neil. All right, here we go. I shouldn't have looked at you. I shouldn't. I was fine until I looked like right at the end. I need to get off the internet. Um, I typed in Creepy Canada. It's an actual show. It's a real show that you could watch. Um, mm. I've noticed the way I was going through that. I was like, holy crap, this voice is really slow. Yeah. And as I soon as he started like, it, I was like, I wonder what he's going to do when he gets to the review. <laughs> Bad call. Bad call all around. At least I have the one. You have the two. This review comes from. <laughs> nope, that's too high pitched. I can't do it that way. <laughs> no, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that's too high pitch. <laughs> I can't sustain that. There's absolutely no imaginable. <laughs> Not possible. Not possible. Oh no, now I, now I, I can't even oh, find it. <laughs> I really hope somebody walked past your Well, door the funny right thing is, <laughs> no one can walk past. <laughs> but that means if someone is at my door, they're specifically at my door to remain there until they have my attention. So, yeah. luckily. <laughs> Goodbye.